0: Welcome to The Owl Hoot, a podcast for the environmentally curious with me and Caroline Norbury. On each episode I chat with a guest who contributes in some way to protecting the planet on matters of climate change, sustainability, biodiversity and pollution. Here is a place where you can gain new knowledge and be inspired. Enjoy listening. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to two guests about the findings of a citizens panel run by Lancaster University and the Climate Change Committee, aiming to develop policies for decarbonizing homes. Jake Ainscoff is a Senior Research Associate at the Lancaster Environment Centre, and has a background in environmental governments and ecological economics. He led the deliberation process on this project. Ray Plummer from Birmingham participated as one of the 24 citizen panelists. In this conversation, we will discover why more public engagement is key to delivering change in the quest to solve the climate crisis, how it worked, and their experiences within the project. So welcome to you both to the podcast. So Jake, I'll start with you, if you could give me a bit of a background on the project itself and the panel, and how you came to be involved, that would be lovely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the panel itself is, is part of a wider project that I'm involved in at Lancaster University called Climate Citizens, um, project led by Professor Rebecca Willis and funded by UK Research and Innovation. And the idea of this project is to look at new ways, and innovative ways for involving kind of the, the people who will be impacted by climate policy in the design of that policy effectively. So we're particularly interested in things like citizens juries and citizens assemblies so these are deliberative methods where people aren't just asked for their opinion on a policy topic but are given the space to learn about to debate between each other um, and come to more informed positions on on the questions they're being asked and to come out with with their own recommendations and policy solutions so within that project, we have been doing some work with the Climate Change Committee, who are the government's statutory advisors on carbon budgets, so on climate change uh, targets or de- uh, uh, emission reduction targets. Um, and on the- they-, they have a mandate to keep track effectively and, and to-, to judge how well the government is doing against against those targets. So we- we've we been working with them. And one of the things that came out of that work was that they were very interested in, in this particular policy area we're talking about today, which is emissions from buildings, and particularly looking at emissions from domestic buildings for people who own their own, own, their own homes. So the owner-occupier part of, of, of the buildings in the UK, which is about 66% of, of buildings is, 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 are owner-occupied. The reason they were particularly interested in that is because this is a policy area that's actually relatively little action from government at the moment. What there is largely depends on kind of voluntary targets for people, things like mortgage lenders or, or boiler manufacturers. There's relatively little oversight, and the, the committee, as, as they've voiced to the government several times, have some concerns about whether the policy that's in place is sufficient to get the uh, level of retrofit that we need. So, by retrofit, I mean uh, installing electric heat pumps or low carbon heating solutions and getting homes insulated. So from that, they 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 wanted to look at, you know, what could policies for that area look like? What would work for homeowners themselves? And so we set up and ran this, this citizens panel that we're talking about today.
0: So if I come to you, Ray, you were one of the, the panellists. How did you get to hear about the project and how did you become involved?
2: Yeah, it, it it was a bit odd. It just came out of the blue. There was this letter from Lancaster University talking about a a citizens panel, which I'd never heard of, didn't know what this citizen panel was. And uh, I said to my partner, what's all of this? And she said, oh, nothing will come of it, forget it. And uh, and, I, and I just thought, no, it's, it's it's really interesting, because it's very rare that citizens get asked anything. And it was about climate change, which I'm no expert on, but I'm interested in anyway. So I thought, even though the odds were very small, because I think the letter said something like, we're going to perm twenty-five people out of about five or ten thousand. So I thought, well, you know, there's a very small chance. So I, I just thought I'll fill it in anyway and register, which which I did. And then I was just um, really surprised to be selected for it, you know. So it was it's just it was just an opportunity to be involved with something in a more practical way. You know not just watching cop 26 going on but to actually have an opportunity to speak so so that's how it happened just a letter through the post and just making the decision to follow it up
0: okay that, that that's that's really interesting to hear your perspective on where you are at and, and why you thought oh let's get involved with this jake can i just clarify i believe in terms of bringing people together how did you how do you decide on the people that you were going to then select? Because it sounded like from Ray that there was a lot of people that could potentially you could have picked from.
1: Yeah, and that's actually really crucial for these processes. You know, one of, the, one of the key things you're looking for is to have a room full of people who, broadly speaking, are kind of demographically representative of the wider public, the wider group of people that you're interested in. So the way that you go about recruiting is, is really crucial. Um, what we did is we used a process called Sortition, So unlike processes where you stand on the street corner with a clipboard and ask people to sign up, you're trying to get rid of some of the randomness. And what you do is send out an awful lot of invite emails or letters, sorry, to people's homes, ask people to express, at least in principle, interest. And then from that pool of people who say they're interested, you then try and map them against the demographic criteria that you're trying to meet to put together a sample that looks like your wider public. And so those could be criteria like you know like age, um, like gender, um, like incomes. And in situations like this, one that's really crucial is, is views on climate change. You, do, you don't want to be sat in a room with just a bunch of people who are like super passionate about climate change. The the real point is to kind of get that variety of views. So um, we use a list of criteria, and then and then did our best to kind of match uh, match the group of, the group that we got against those.
0: Okay, so you've got your 24. What then happens throughout the process?
1: Yeah, so so any of these processes have some crucial steps. They have your recruitment, that we just talked about. They then have kind of a learning phase of getting to know the issues, um, and then some a phase of deliberation, and then coming out with some recommendations. So broadly speaking, that's what happened. But in our situation, we have seven sessions. So we've met some online sessions, uh, and some full days in-person sessions. And broadly, we we followed that trajectory. So we had some, first of all, what is climate change, just to get people up to a similar level of understanding, uh, mainly about the sources of emissions and why building is kind of a a big part of that picture. We heard from commentators on the different solutions that were out there for buildings, um, both in terms of behaviour within buildings, building fabrics, so insulation, low carbon heating appliances, and tried to give people a real sense of, of kind of, what different options were on the table and being discussed, and then basically set set the task over. Okay, kind of white white black piece of paper. You know, what would what would a package of support that worked for you guys, based on you know your homes, your neighbourhoods, your lives, your jobs. You know, what what would a good good policy look like? And then what we did is iterate around that several times. So we had experts from the CCC in the room. So analysts from the CCC who were able to interject their views and say, well. You know, that looks good. But have you considered this? Or, you know, do you think that goes far enough? And so through several iterations, we kind of came to this final package of support that, that those in the room thought would kind of get the, you know, provide enough support to get homeowners to make the changes that need to happen to their
0: homes. Okay, so I'm getting a feel for what, what it looked like. What was the experience, Ray, for you then, coming to this process? You're having a bit, it sounds like you had a bit of knowledge and, and obviously a bit of interest. Then to be sort of sharing space with strangers and having to discuss a way forward what was that like
2: well it wasn't like what i imagined so in my head when i when i joined the first session because there were five online sessions in the evening and two all day saturday sessions i expected it really to be quite a few people who are experts and proper eco-warriors who would understand all of the Detail of it and what was going on. And to be fair, there were a few people like that who had a deep knowledge and had insulated their homes and had done all the latest things. But generally, it was just a mix, a very broad, diverse mix of ordinary people with different levels of interest. Some people, obviously, who were very passionate about it and had read about things and knew all about the technical stuff. But the majority of people thought this is something we should be involved with, something we should be good. And our knowledge, if you wanted to rank our knowledge, typically it was out of 10, it was interest was about six or seven and knowledge was about three out of 10. So it was just ordinary people from different backgrounds, ages, ethnicities, parts of the West Midlands, different, um, I'm involved in lots of meetings at work. And a lot of the people do sound the same, (laughs) but they didn't. And it was a real variety in terms of accents, attitudes, class background. So so it it was good to be part of that group. It was really, and it was so well facilitated that you you felt that the things you said were okay. They weren't stupid. And over the sessions, I think people felt comfortable in, in putting forward ideas and thoughts. So that process of making it feel like a safe a safe space that you weren't being talked down to, that you had some value in the process, it was just so important. And it meant that the group sort of didn't sort of bond or have group hugs, but felt safe and able to contribute. It was a really interesting process.
0: Yeah, I think what you raised there is so key, isn't it? Because especially, as you say, if you're kind of familiar with being in a room where people are sort of all in the same direction, talking the same language, to suddenly you've got quite a diverse group. Managing that and making everybody feel that they've got a voice and it doesn't matter what level you're at must be really key. So in that mix then, you you said that the knowledge was generally lower than the enthusiasm or that's the impression you gave me. Where did your knowledge go? And also in terms of everybody else's knowledge, how did that work in terms of You you probably had different opinions. Were you surprised by other people's opinions and did it change your own?
2: Yeah, I was surprised. I was surprised by people's opinions in some ways, but but their opinions, most people's opinions weren't theory-based. It was practicalities. So opinion about, should I insulate my home? would it be a good thing to do? So you would think the driver would be, well, what's the cost? What's the benefit? What's the return? Not always. People said, what's the level of faff involved? How much disruption will it cause? How long am I going to stay in this property? Suppose, especially when we talked about heat pumps, suppose the heat pump I buy is the Betamax version instead of the VHS version. And I've wasted thousands of pounds. And three years later, a much simpler, better solution comes along. So it was very, very practical. But what was different from other groups I've been involved with, it would you got these contributions from experts who would just who would just say the facts really, and what's been done and what's been tried, and how heat pumps work and how much heat is lost through your walls, your windows and whatever. And it was just good to have that being interspersed with the sessions and then you break into a group and discuss it. So it was really a good balance, a great balance between sort of expert opinion and real practical common sense from people.
0: Yeah, that's a good combination, isn't it? And Jake, from your point of view then, cause you're overseeing this sort of deliberative process, what what you saw was it expected were they talking about the kinds of things and asking the sorts of questions that you thought that they would ask in response to say some of the expertise that was coming their way
1: yeah i think you know we we don't we don't like to use we don't like to use that kind of bifurcation of the experts and the non-experts the point the point of these processes is to bring different types of knowledge different understandings different types of expertise if you like into conversation with one another so just as a, an economist could sort of do the math for you on how long it's going to take the heat pump to pay back, you know, someone who lives in a flat with three children you know, will have an awful lot of insight into the realities of what it's going to take to, to, to get one of those installed in, in, in their buildings. So to that extent, you know, we saw what we hope to see in any of these processes, which is the bringing together of these different types of understanding and these different types of knowledges to get to a point where we have ideas that make sense on both of those terms. You know, they make sense in the sense that they are deliverable as policy, that they should get us to where we want to go in terms of reducing emissions, but that they also work for the variety of people who ultimately at the end of the day are going to have to make these changes to, to our homes. So yeah, so we, in that sense, we saw things we'd expect, but as in any of these processes, you know, some things are it up that are unexpected because what you are doing is kind of asking people who aren't normally brought into the policy process to, to bring in their views and i think one of the things that came home quite strongly was levels of concern about the technology as ray says sort of, will there be a better solution that comes on later down the line i think you know if the government are going to drive forward with heat pumps that's something they're going to have to think about uh, perhaps another one was was the low level of understanding of just how much change is going to be needed in such a short space of time i think people were quite taken aback of of, of you know, the types of timescales we're talking about here and, and how much change is required. So again, one for government to think about in terms of making sure the message is getting out there clearer. So so yeah, it was it was a good balance of the types of conversations that we like to see, but but invariably some insights that you wouldn't get if you hadn't actually run the process.
0: So following on from that, you've gone through the process and the idea is to present ideas that could be a coherent policy. What What did that look like at the end? Jake, if I could take that with you first.
1: Yeah, so there's there's a few things I'd pull out of this. The first is that one of the crucial things we got from this is that the government's approach, which is which is largely to leave it to the market to bring down the costs of these things, and to hope that when we reach reach cost neutrality for a boiler and a and a heat pump, that people will start installing them when their boiler dies. You know, that slightly more hands off approach just simply isn't going to work. That there will need to be a lot more support in terms of the information that's provided to people in terms of potential financial support. So that's, that's one of the key things. But the other is that there's no single solution to that. Different, different strategies, different incentives, different forms of support will work for different people. So what came out was not kind of two or three kind of headline, these are it. What came out was a collection a variety of different incentives and what the the real key thing that the panelists came up with was this idea of building it around the life cycle of owning, owning a home so you think about okay i'm buying a home or i'm in the market for a home you know that's a time that i'm going through a bit of disruption anyway i'm forking out a bit of money anyway that's a crucial time that you might get people to think about this so what different mechanisms could you use to do that you know one of the things they thought about was a stamp duty incentive could you get a rebate on your stamp duty if you have work done to your home within a certain period of time so that's one part of the life cycle and then you move into kind of potentially getting renovations done on that home again a time where you might be thinking or more accepting of some disruption then you're living in that home you know kind of how do you interact with your energy company at that point you know what kind of tariffs are available these types of things and then you're looking forward to at some point in the future you're going to sell that home again and so they built what was kind of not a silver bullet, but kind of a package of quite nuanced interventions that fit around that, that life cycle. And outside of that, there were some kind of higher level kind of aims like this thing about clearer messaging from government, clearer understanding, higher, higher sort of public awareness. But, but yeah, the kind of the, the real insight if you like was the was variety of different mechanisms that will be needed at different stages around that life cycle and how they could sort of hang together.
0: Okay, uh, it's interesting that that life cycle it will allow people to resonate with that. Everyone can can knows kind of how buying and selling a house, even if they don't own a house themselves, they're kind of aware of a process within that. Um, so that sounds sounds like a sensible framework for you, Ray. Then, out of all those things that were then put in this sort of life cycle framework, did some of them completely resonate with you and thought, oh, this will this is a definite must-have, did you prioritise some of the outcomes more than others, and what and what were they?
2: Definitely, I mean, I think the thing that stood out for me was, even though it's not within your gift in the home, was, was that idea that you could be rewarded for being energy efficient. So one, one of the ideas was um, differential tariffs, which you'd use at different times, or if you were well off enough to have an electric car that could be charged at a much lower rate because that was green and then somebody had an idea about um use a smart meter and i think i've heard some discussion about it recently but a smart meter being a tool to incentivize you to use energy more efficiently so so it was some of the front of mind ideas because you're busy and you're doing things at home. It's not what people are thinking about, but it was little nudges and ideas that would encourage you, that would really encourage you to do things that would be more energy efficient. It's just so disappointing when I was listening to the news and and there's a campaign across Europe to save energy. And then our government says, no, don't bother. It's okay, we're not going to do it. It would be nannying, you know, And, and I just sort of think, no because one of the huge things that came out for all of this is yes we want to do things but we want to know we're doing it right we want to know there's clear government direction we want to know we're we're not wasting our time on doing the wrong things I mean somebody said look at what happened with the whole thing about diesel versus petrol cars you know for a long time we were told diesel is the way forward it's the way forward I am in Birmingham, you drive a diesel car into the city centre, it's £8 pounds now, you know, because we decided it isn't the way forward. So there was nervousness about that. There were some things which really surprised me from the experts when people were talking about how much heat you lost through the walls of your home. I just thought, oh, I always just thought in terms of double glazing. Suddenly, it not entered my head that you lost much more through the walls. So some of those kind of facts really came home to me and I came home and said, do you you realise that you lose so much through doors and so much through windows and so much through, and we've got to do something, you know, but but the whole package and some of the ideas people came up with were just so interesting. And I just thought, will they take this on board? Will it really go into a report or will it be sort of um, smoothed down and sanitised? But the report was true to what people said, and the ideas are in there. So it was, just, it was just good for people to be bouncing practical ideas off each other. And, and on practical benchmarks, everything was cost. What will the government do? How much fat is it to do that? What will the benefit be? How long will I be staying in the property? Will there be any return for doing this? But one of, one of the most important things for me was to make the case that It can't be just about the money. If money is the incentive, then people with money won't do anything. And of course the people with the big cars and jet, private airplanes and huge houses in London, they are the biggest consumers of energy at all. So if the only incentive is you could save a bob or two, you will do nothing to change the behavior of the peak energy users, you know you, you you'll have ordinary people from the point you say you could save x but that won't work at all for the well healed they'll just say well i can afford it why should i change so there needed to be an incentive beyond money it needed to matter pe- to people and what came quite often in different groups because we moved around to different groups people said just think of how people reacted to the covid to the pandemic crisis, people did things and adapted in a way no one could believe that there was a clear message, they understood the danger the crisis, and people responded in extraordinary ways. So if we can do it for that, we could probably do it for this, and it would probably mean far less adjustment. So there was just the sense of, yes, we want to do something, but we want it to be coordinated, and we want to know that... The powers that be are driving it and are on our side really it was just yeah fascinating really
0: you've made some so so many really interesting points there the the one about the economics uh, obviously is key but people's motivation for doing things is so important and getting the right sort of information and trusting that if you go in a certain way it is as you say the right way so Obviously, this whole process was thoroughly engaging for you to think about all these different things that that drive whether we do certain things as, a, as an individual and as a population. Jake, can I bring you in on that? And obviously, it sounds like it was such a good project. How do you use that information then to say, wow, these are all the these are all of the way for you know these are really good ideas how can we scale that up and make it work and, and draw really good policy from it
1: so we had the advantage in this process of working directly with the climate change committee so to clarify they're not a part of government they were set up by government by the climate change act and they have a statutory responsibility to to report to government and to monitor their progress so What we can do and what the CCC can do and have done is take these findings and every time, every year, for example, in their progress report, when they relate to government how well they're doing, they can draw on these along with the other analysis they do and say, look, you're you're slipping in this area. These are a suite of policies that we know would work and that we know have popular support of people. You know, one of the things specifically is, is there's certainly the last administration, was considering the idea of bringing in a ban on installing new gas boilers, so not ripping people's boilers out, but installing new ones. Very sensitive topic, and it's, you know it's very much a stick rather than a carrot. But actually, from the conversations we had in our panel, everyone kept going back to the fact that yes, what we've got here will motivate certain people, but there there will be people who, when we are going to need a stick. And what they came to was actually the, the gas boiler and banning that as long as you communicate it in plenty of time, and have the other support in place, people will accept that. So, you know, that can be quite powerful. But for people like the CCC, you are advising politicians to say, you know, we understand why there's some sensitivity around this area. But, you know, we've done this research and, you know, if you kind of go about it this way, this could really work. At the end of the day, you know, these, these processes are not meant to replace the sort of Decision-making processes that we had in place in this country to ensure that the kind of democratically elected government today make the final decision. You know, they're not meant to replace those; they are meant to inform them. They're they're meant to sort of provide support for potentially politicians who are nervous about a policy direction. You know, so they can they can be more confident that they can bring it forward, or to know where the kind of the hot button issues are, or where the debates kind of are going to raise, so they can preempt that and and think about it in the way policies are communicated. So they provide a very kind of useful input to the policy process. Obviously, we'd like to see a lot of the proposals from the citizens panel taken up. They chime very well with, with some of the things that the CCC have been saying anyway, and the other independent research bodies who've come up this problem from maybe more of a technical angle. You know, A lot of these different ways of going at it arrive at similar solutions, which only strengthens uh, the case for them, I think. And obviously, we're staring into the jaws of an energy crisis. You know, it's hard to think of a time where where these types of things would be would be more salient. So, you know, if there is going to be action on this policy area, which it seems that there needs to be, both from a climate and a cost of living perspective, then you know, research like this helps politicians work out what that would look like and sort of uh, head off a potential backlash against badly designed
2: policies.
0: Okay, I can see where where this fits amongst all those other things, and and the fact that it backs up where you were seeing other areas of agreement sounds sounds very positive did you come out of the process jake thinking well that was successful and if so why
1: (laughs) yeah i did Uh, two reasons actually so we we went into it with kind of two two intentions if you like the first was quite directly to run this process and come up with some good policy solutions that were supported by people so that the CCC could, could, could use that in their evidencing, um, in their communications to government. And to that degree, I think it worked really well. You know, we weren't even sure where we were headed. We weren't sure if it was going to be a list of policies or some kind of a summary of the discussions. But the fact that, you know, we actually reacted to that in real time, depending on where we got to with the conversations, the fact that we got to something that was not just a list of policies that people liked, but quite a holistic package that hung together and sort of had an internal coherence Was yeah, as far as we were, we were possibly hoping to get. So, so, so in, in those terms, it really delivered. But the other intention of, of running this process was to hopefully get the Climate Change Committee to think about this type of research. So obviously they spend a lot of time commissioning reports uh, from kind of policy wonks and from economists and you know, doing the real techie numbers stuff, which is obviously really essential. But historically, they've not spent as much time sort of doing the research on, okay, well, well, what types of policies will people support, you know, to go outside of our policy area that we were discussing, you know, how much less meat might people actually eat and under what circumstances, which we would consider a really important line of evidence. So what we were hoping is that by doing this process, it was seen as valuable by them and that they might sort of in the future think to do this type of research if a similar area came up, that they thought it would be a value to do it. And from speaking to some of the staff there, you know, I think there was an awful lot of interest outside of the building's team about the, what we were doing. And certainly there was some conversations about how other policy teams in different policy areas might think about using these processes. Uh, Chris Stark, who spoke at the launch of this, as the CEO of the Climate Change Committee, you know, I think he really saw the value in it, and it's something that he would like to see, see the CCC do more of. So, so in those terms as well, yeah, from, from our perspective, it was, it was definitely a success.
0: And Ray, what about you? Did you feel by the end of the process that you think, oh, I was glad I was involved in it? And what is it, what has it meant to you to have been involved in the process?
2: It's it's felt it felt really uplifting and empowering to be part of that process because you're not alone in how you think about things. You know you rage at the radio or the TV, and then you will tend to talk with just like-minded friends about things, to actually be part of a structured process where you knew the conclusions of your discussions were going somewhere where it might matter. And to have Chris Stark there talking It's just bizarre before this. I was just working away and he popped up on the radio and on that Net Zero programme. And I thought, oh, that's Chris. <laughs> you know, so it was just really important to have some of the not policymakers but influencers in the room so many times you're involved with things and you do it because it's the right thing to do but you have a suspicion it won't really go anywhere but to be part of a process with i was going to say like-minded people they were like minded but very different in their motivations and views and that felt that felt like a real strength because you know that phrase, speaking into the converted, that's more about your own psychological comfort than actually changing anything. In this case, when I looked at the group as part of, we weren't the converted, we were quite different. So it was just really good to be part of something that was uplifting, that resulted in the launch event, which was great, and the report, which, which I've read, and I thought, did we contribute to that? it's just been such a positive thing, basically.
0: I am so impressed and um, heartened by the fact that you have found that process to be the way it is. And that fact that if you as a group of people that have never met each other with not not all on the same page can come together and make something you know and deliver a, a sort of a range of ideas and policy if you like that that gives that gives us all hope because that's you know we need that at the top <laughs> don't we where they come together even though they aren't like minded in the same way that you guys have so i'm very uplifted to hear that jake where where does it go from here what what ambitions are on the back of doing this process
1: So for us, I mean, the kind of the founding motivation for the project itself was to see more organizations understand the value of these types of processes and start to use them in the way that they work. That's kind of what we're really aiming for. And be that the CCC, like we've already discussed, or a lot of local authorities have run deliberative processes, be they citizens juries, or citizens assemblies, and are sort of looking at ways that they might go about Doing more of that type of work, you know, carrying the conversation on as they develop policy and rolling them out, making sure they're keeping those kind of two-way conversations going with members of the public. So we would like to see kind of a, a significant increase in in the prominence of these types of methods in the climate policy process, and that could be in any number of venues. It could be in local authorities, it could be within the CCC, the select some select committees in Parliament ran a large-scale deliberative process on climate change, which it has the advantage of covering a lot of areas but obviously climate change is you know an umbrella topic under which sit all of these very nuanced and very difficult challenges that each have their own dynamics so you know further deliberative work at that level on some of the kind of more specific climate policy challenges would be great to see and you know there is there is an overarching question of like how does that work is, is it best to sort of do one-off processes like like We've done as and when the need arises, or are there organisations that could do with sort of bolstering their internal capacity to to kind of horizon scan and work out where these might be of value and and you know put the resources into into getting it done, um, which is to a certain degree an open question and a question that the kind of policymakers and and you know advocates of these processes like like ourselves um, are kind of wrestling with at the moment. Really, you know, it, we, we want to see more of them trying to work out the best ways that they can be embedded into the way that we
0: currently do Okay then, so as, as a final question to both of you but slightly nuanced, Jake, how, what are your thoughts and feelings having been through the, the kinds of work that you've been involved in? How do you see the future? How do you feel about the future in terms of climate change and solving it?
1: So, so truth be told, um, I'm not massively optimistic about the future in this country at the moment for I think obvious reasons. But as you were just saying, you know, processes like this prove that regardless of the messages that necessarily come from some of our elites, the vast majority of people out there massively care about climate change. Vast majority of people would like to do something about it. And they're not going to make massive changes to their lives just because they care about climate change. They've got, you know, they're putting food on the table, they've got lives to live and things to worry about. So it is going to take some level of support. But there's such an upswell now. You know, poll after poll shows people really, really care about this. And that's not going anywhere. I think one of the interesting things about deliberative processes like the one we've done is, you know, that they're not. They're not a runaround. They're they're, they're not an escape from the kind of messy politics of, of making progress on this issue. And I think we are arguably in a bit of a nadir at the moment. But that's not to say that that couldn't change very, very rapidly. So at the moment not feeling massively optimistic, but I think the the underlying public sentiment around this issue isn't going anywhere. And sooner or later that is, you know, in fact it is increasingly being channeled into form politics and various avenues. That's where my hope lies. I'd be lying if I said I didn't think there were major challenges to overcome, but you know, that basic fact isn't going to change.
0: Thank you for your honesty. And Ray, to finish up with you then. After having been through this process I wonder how it's impacted you on a personal level whether it's changed the way you have conversations with friends and family and what your thoughts and feelings are for the future
2: I think it has I think it has changed the way I speak to people because I think I'm speaking more from a sense not of knowledge but of possibilities and and I think the thing that the overwhelming feeling I've Got now is that yes, I can do things and I will do things, and other people should do things. It has to come from government. It absolutely has to come from the top. If there's no, if there's no direction, no really positive, enthusiastic steer from that quarter, I think we'll be in trouble because the market won't sort it out by itself. There's no incentive. So just before this, like I said before. I was so depressed that we wouldn't even send out messages to say, here's a tip. We might have blackouts. Be careful with how you use energy. So I'm positive that it's what I often say to people. I'm really positive about the people in this country. They tend to think and get it right in the main. It's just, it hinges on the quality of leadership we have. And so hopefully, things will improve, but I'm not in a fantastically optimistic place at the moment, but who knows? We've had four different leaders in six years, who knows? Might change again soon.
0: Quite. Well, thank you to you both for giving me your candid replies on that. I really hope I really hope leadership take note of what you've done through this process and that the CCC can nudge them in the right direction, because I think it's been it's been so illuminating and valuable to listen to you and to, to hear more about that uh, citizens panel so thanks very much for your time today.
2: Thank you
0: Making homes more energy efficient to reduce carbon emissions has made slow progress. So it's timely to have the findings from this climate citizens panel. I found this conversation fascinating. And if a group of everyday citizens with different backgrounds, experience, and thoughts on climate can come together to construct a coherent plan, then there's hope. With this kind of framework in place, retrofitting homes at scale seems entirely possible. Involving people across society to inform policy is all part of being a democracy, I think. Communication has clearly been effective during the project, and we can all take something from that. I look forward to seeing how the government responds to the recommendations from the Climate Change Committee. For further insight into the Climate Citizens Project, see the links in the show notes. I'd like to thank Andy Shaw for audio editing, Jeremy Jones for providing the music, and to you for listening. Don't forget, you can follow the podcast to get automatic access to each new episode. And it would be lovely if you could rate, review and share it too. It really helps. Until next time, bye for now.